Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Home Practice with Hallie. I'm your host, Hallie Miraglada, here with the mission to make the tools of yoga more accessible to all bodies, no matter where in the world you make your home. Last week, you were introduced to the concept of meditation. Your homework was to take five breaths in meditation each day, using the tool of positive affirmations as a way to rewire your thought patterns and your internal monologue. You can practice this technique anywhere, regardless of whether you are sitting, standing, walking, or laying down. How did it go for you? Were you able to give yourself that time to restructure your mindset? What was the affirmation that you chose to use? Just in case you forgot, you are enough. You can do it. It's okay. You have everything you need. And you're always welcome to reach out to me directly through the Anchor app or through Instagram at H-A-L-L-E-Y-O-G-A, Hallie Yoga, to ask any questions, receive clarification, or to share with me your experience. This week, I'll introduce you to some fundamental concepts in yoga philosophy. There's a misconception that yoga is simply a series of physical movements designed to increase physical well-being. This is certainly an important part of the yoga practice, as we are all bound by the experiences of the body. When we are able to alleviate suffering from the physical form, we are able to extend ourselves into the world in more meaningful ways. The practices of asana, which is physical postures, pranayama, which is breathing techniques, as well as meditation, all directly address the wellness of mind and body. However, the heart of the yoga practice is actually a comprehensive, ethical, philosophical system designed to facilitate right living in harmony with yourself, with others, and within respect of nature and the world. In other words, it is not enough to alleviate suffering in your own life if your thoughts, words, or actions off the mat cause suffering in the lives of others. Much of this ethical foundation comes from a text called the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, written sometime in the first four centuries after what is considered Common Era. This text is a collection of aphorisms, or concise statements of principle, designed to serve as an instruction manual for a basic spiritual practice. Wonderfully, these ethical precepts are not limited by social structure, location, time, or circumstance, and are universally available to all, regardless of age, gender, race, or creed. And although the first part of this text addresses theoretical components of the yoga system, the second part names concrete and practical requirements for living a morally just life. And it is within this section that the eight-limbed path emerges. And it's here that you'll begin your journey today. We will just barely scratch the surface, addressing only the first of these eight limbs. The ground floor of the yogic lifestyle and the first limb of this path is comprised of five yamas. The Sanskrit word yama means abstention or self-restraint. And each one of these five yamas are intended to purify the individual 
and eliminate negative influences on others and the environment. I will introduce you to each one and then offer you a few moments for reflection. Self-reflection or self-study is an important part of your yoga practice so that you can consciously name implicit biases or limiting beliefs, address past wounds and habits, and open yourself up to your personal evolution. I'll invite you to journal during those moments of reflection. Sometimes turning the focus inward is deeply uncomfortable as it forces us to encounter things that we have worked hard to bury. We're really going to go there today, and at some points it might feel heavy. As a reminder, I am not judging you for anything that you write down or realize at any stage of the way. I am asking you to do the work to acknowledge your shortcomings, and make commitments for your growth moving forward. When you choose to grow in peace, you give everyone else in your life permission to do the same. Have a paper and a pen handy, and let's dig in. As I mentioned, there are five yamas. The first of these is called ahimsa. Ahimsa is a Sanskrit word that translates roughly into non-harming or non-violence in thought, word, and deed. If you live a generally reasonable lifestyle, haven't started any bar fights recently or slashed someone's tires, it might feel easy to gloss over this one and excuse yourself by saying, yeah, I'm non-violent. But Ahimsa refers not only to the obvious forms of physical violence, but also includes subtle forms, like the flare-up of anger toward a driver that cuts you off on the road, judgmental thoughts or words about someone else's clothing, appearance, or identity presentation, and yes, even the way you talk to yourself in your head. Like, if you tell yourself constantly that you are worthless, you probably think that about others too, whether you realize it or not. And the more often we gloss over examples of microaggression, the easier it becomes for us to forgive or ignore overt violence toward ourselves, others, or groups of people. You must begin to dismantle the thoughts or attitudes that include any form of harm, judgment, or anger toward yourself or others, whether it is purposeful or unintentional. Sometimes harm is caused through non-action, from just being lazy or not caring enough to change your ways. Violence is always an expression of something unexamined or unacknowledged within yourself. Living in a true state of ahimsa, or non-harming, also asks us to acknowledge the costs of convenience in our lifestyle and preferences by examining the food that we eat, who or what suffered to bring that meal to your table, and even the packaging that it came in. Will this plastic wrapper or cup take thousands of years to biodegrade and in the meantime choke marine life or litter the shores of a distant country? To truly incorporate nonviolence into your life, you must take small steps, even if it just starts with practicing positive affirmations, performing selfless service, eating a little less meat, or bringing reusable utensils with you. So here's a few minutes for reflection. Feel free to jot down any thoughts or feelings you have as you go. 
Can you remember a time recently that you have thought negative thoughts, spoken negative words, or acted from a place of judgment or even hatred? When was the last time you were moved to anger in conversation? And how did that anger prevent you from connection with understanding? In what ways do you use the injustices that have been imposed on you as validation for imposing harm on others? Sometimes these things are hard to admit. Do you hold any biases toward a particular group of people? Do you find yourself speaking from a place of privilege in a way that disempowers or delegitimizes the experiences of others? When you pass a homeless person asking for money on the street, what judgments do you pass on them or their life, whether verbally or non-verbally? Are you feeling a little uncomfortable right now? We all have work to do. Living from a space of nonviolence and non-harming is like the umbrella that contains all the other yamas. In some ways, it is all-encompassing. If we truly lived with ahimsa as our guiding light, we would have no need for any other virtue because we would embody them all. Take a moment to envision the alternative. In each of those instances, what would it look like if you flipped your thoughts, words, and actions and approached each situation from a space of compassion and non-judgment? Are you willing to see and name the opportunities for growth in your life? What is one specific commitment that you are willing to make toward the space of nonviolence? Take the next few moments here to journal, to breathe into discomfort, and to hold the space for your work. The second of these yamas, or restraints, is called satya. Satya is a Sanskrit word that translates roughly into truthfulness. It is an acknowledgement that honest communication is the foundation of honest action, and that any type of deliberate deception, exaggeration, or mistruth harms yourself, others, and the community. Living in truth is a way to fully embody a state of non-harming and a reminder that your words and actions do matter and do have an impact on the world around you. Learn to speak what is necessary, even if that truth is challenging. Again, this goes beyond just small little lies. It asks you to question whether your work, your actions, your habits, your relationships, and yes, your words, are aligned with and in service to your values and your mission. It asks you to speak up in the face of injustice or bigotry toward particular groups of people, even if your words are not popular. When you spread gossip or misinformation or advertise yourself or your accomplishments falsely, the truth is violated. You may even know that physical feeling of your throat tightening up when something has been left unsaid. 
If you have even one lie, you will feel it, and the lies will pile up around it. But if the mind is full of truth, fear will disappear, because there's nothing to hide. As a reminder, speaking from a place of satya means being truthful, not hurtful. Brutal honesty is to be avoided. Skill in action is required. Pause in reflection. How can you communicate your truth with compassion, kindness, and love? Are your thoughts, words, and actions aligned with your values? Is there any part of your life in which you feel you are not being fully honest with yourself or with others? Are there any conversations that need to happen with your loved ones, with your manager, with your partner, with your child? And what does the alternative look like in which you are fully embodying your values and living with your truths aligned? What steps can be made to take out the garbage in your head and grow flowers there instead? Take the next few moments to breathe, to feel, and jot down any notes you'd like to hold on to about truth and satya. The third of these yamas, or abstentions, is called asteya. Asteya is a Sanskrit word that translates roughly into non-stealing. Any level of theft is marked by a little bit of entitlement and by a poverty mindset of thinking that there's not enough for everyone, so I must take what I think is mine. As always, there is more to this than just the surface assumption. It's easy enough to say, well, I haven't robbed any banks recently. I haven't stolen from any department stores. But there are so many ways to steal. Here's a few questions for you to consider as part of your personal reflection. Have you ever allowed a sense of competition or possessiveness to steal joy from the present moment or to detract from someone else's accomplishments? Have you ever participated in socialized stealing, like sending a bill or invoice that is not accurate? In a group setting, have you ever been the person who overpowered the conversation, preventing others from sharing their voice or their story? Have you ever showed up late for an appointment without thinking that you were stealing time from the person who set aside theirs for you or from the person who reserved that time after you? How about material waste? How often do you throw away food? How many items in your closet do you not wear? When you do not share what you have, in a sense, you are stealing from others. Unthinking consumerism and the culture of one-time use items contributes to the depletion of natural resources and is a way of stealing from our planet and of taking from future generations. Take the next few moments to consider Any times you feel that you have not successfully practiced asteya, in which you have stolen from others, whether it is in the currency of time, material, or space. 
What was the motivation behind that theft? And what does the alternative look like? What is one action or reaction in which you can practice an abundance mindset? Can you identify a specific area or way in which you are committed to making a change? Take the next few breaths to contemplate within your own life and jot down any notes or reminders that you might want. Remember, practice compassion when you observe your actions. Practice positive thinking, especially when you are creating the foundation for change. The fourth of these restraints is called brahmacharya. Brahmacharya is a Sanskrit word that translates roughly into right use of energy. It calls for us to use our resources in service to our higher mission, rather than losing ourselves and our time in constant overstimulation or overindulgence, like through fast foods, loud music, violent movies, drugs or alcohol, inappropriate or frivolous sexual behavior, chasing luxuries, or even hours of mindless scrolling on social media. The idea behind this yama is that if you are consistently applying your vital energy and time toward these endeavors, you will not have the resources available for meaningful growth. And when we do not personally evolve, we lose the ability to contribute meaningfully to the world around us. Like, do you really not have time? Or are you just wasting the time that you have? Recall the prana in, prana out journaling technique I offered you a few weeks ago in episode 8. What were the habits, people, places, relationships, or expectations that drain you of your energy and optimism. There are definitely elements of your life that are within your control. So envision the alternative. A different future is possible. What do you think are right uses of your energy? What would it look like if you replaced one negative habit with one positive act? What do you think would happen if you dedicated yourself to the habits, people, and places that fill you with hope, that give you peace, that advance you on your personal evolution to the benefit of the world around you? Take the next few moments here to consider the habits that make up your lifestyle, to breathe into it, write down some notes, and make a few concrete decisions for moving forward. The fifth and final of these yamas is called a parigraha. A parigraha is a Sanskrit word that translates roughly into non-hoarding or non-greed. It asks us to realize when we fail to appreciate what we have 
or when we've acquired something that we've wanted and then immediately we want more. In part, non-hoarding means losing the value judgment attached to owning that car, that house, those shoes. It means observing when we use our material possessions to build our sense of identity or worth. A parigraha asks you to erase the ego attachment to material outcomes and to eliminate the question, what do I get from this situation? The universe has enough for everyone, but not for everyone's greed. The true student of yoga takes a little when there is a little and takes a little when there is a lot. Sometimes the beginning of the spiritual path might just mean clearing out the pantry or cleaning out the closet to donate to those who do not have. It may feel counterintuitive, but owning only what you need creates freedom. Because when we store up excessive possessions or even wealth, we just end up worrying about it. It creates anxiety within the mind to always worry what I wanted I didn't get, what I have I didn't want, but whatever I have, I must not lose it now, right? It's a cleansing exercise to never take more than is necessary for a simple life. Interestingly, included within a parigraha or non-greed is a commitment to neither give nor receive gifts with strings attached. Like if you offer someone money in the expectation that they owe you their favor at a future time, that's a bribe. Unless a gift is given selflessly, it is a gift of manipulation because there is the expectation that something should be given in return. Practicing non-hoarding also applies to situation, including the ability to let go of something, whether it's a job, a relationship, or a particular outcome, when the time is right rather than holding on tightly to the detriment of all involved. It might mean letting go of comparison of what a physical posture looks like in your body versus the person next to you. Life is not something to be achieved or owned. It's something to be experienced and shared. So take a moment of reflection. What are you attached to? Do you bind your identity up in any of your material possessions? Do you use what you own or don't own to assign worth or value to your life? Do you think you're better or worse than anyone else for what you have or don't have? Are you holding on to or attached to a particular outcome from any of the efforts in your life? Take a few moments to consider, to acknowledge abundance, and to practice gratitude for what you have. To review, today we introduced the ethical framework of the system of yoga, called the Eight-Limbed Path. We discussed just the first one of these limbs, called the Yamas. 
which contains five moral restraints or abstentions. They were ahimsa, which means nonviolence or non-harming, satya, truthfulness, asteya, non-stealing, brahmacharya, which means right use of energy, and aparigraha, non-greed or non-hoarding. I encourage you to continue your practice of self-study to determine where in your life you are able to make small changes to the benefit of the world around you. Before we close out this episode, stick around for a quick word from one of my sponsors. If you are still listening at this point in the episode, thank you for tuning in. I know that some of today's questions and content might have felt challenging, but when you move through self-examination with an eye toward your spiritual growth, all sincere efforts lead to positive outcomes. Until next week, drink water, stay relaxed, and I hope to hear from you soon.